Welcome to the Teaching While Learning Podcast. Now that you've made your way here, I hope you're ready to dive deeper into the ESL industry and get a glance of what it has to offer. The TWL Podcast is dedicated to placing you in the shoes of current and former ESL teachers by bringing you their stories, experiences, and opinions. I'm your host, Tim Hillebrand. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of the Teaching While Learning Podcast. On our first episode of A Dizzying Amount of Places to Teach, we're going to take a look at Spain and what it has to offer ESL teachers. So today we have Silvia Spanos joining us today uh, to discuss the culture of Spain, culture shock, and reasons to teach there. So let's jump into our conversation and see if she can actually convince us to go teach there. (laughs) Hi, Silvia. How are you? Hi, Tim. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. During these few episodes, we're going to kind of take a little trip around the world and talk to people that have taught in different countries. And our first stop is Spain. Uh, You've taught there before. um, And we're really looking forward to hearing what you have to to say about Spain. Why did you choose Spain? There are so many places to teach. (laughs) Okay. uh, So, yeah, this was right after college. And I just kind of wanted to, you know, be able to travel while also getting paid. So teach abroad just seemed like the most obvious choice. Uh, I really wanted to be in Europe so I could travel around, uh, access all a bunch of different countries pretty quickly, you know, like weekend trips. And also I wanted to practice my Spanish. Were there, was there ever a time where you thought about going somewhere else in Europe? You know, Spain was kind of just an obvious choice. Um, I didn't really want to go to Latin America any, anywhere over there, but if I was going to go to Europe, I wanted it to be a Spanish speaking country. So yeah, it was a pretty easy decision when I took everything into consideration. And how long were you there? A year. One year. Okay. And did you, did you find yourself wanting to stay longer? Uh, why only do a year? Uh, yeah. So, so my contract was a year uh, and, you know, I did, I did commit to the full year. Um, I didn't want to stay longer just because it's just the culture in general. I, you know, I really enjoyed my experience. It taught me everything and more, but um, I was, I was kind of ready to go after the year was up. <laughs> Uh, well, what kind of classes did you teach there? Were you at a private school, a public school? Yeah, so I was at a public school. Uh, the majority of their classes were taught completely in English. So I was more of a teacher's aide, I guess. You know, I always had a Spanish-speaking teacher in the classroom with me. And um, we taught all all subjects. So I would sort of just show up to the classroom. Uh, it would be like, you know, social studies, English, math, uh, sort of whatever class I was scheduled to be in and the teacher would give me the lesson plan and I would just go for it. Did you have to wing it sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of it did involve winging it. I find that happens a lot actually. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We had like, you know, games and little activities up our sleeves just to pull out in case, you know, we got stuck. What was the, what was the role of the, the TA in the class? Um, were they always hands-on with the students it was it was a bit of a mix. Uh, it it really depended on the age group and the classroom. Uh, you know, the older kids with the older kids, the the TA would sort of just sit in the back and let me do whatever I was doing. You know, as with the younger kids, they really uh, they have just you know a connection to their teacher, and they need the teacher to sort of rein them back in if they're you know misbehaving or anything like that. And a lot of times, you know, their English isn't that great, so they'll need someone. Uh, fluent in Spanish to kind of let them know uh, what's going on in the class. What was the makeup of your classes? Did you teach just a certain grade level or were they kind of spread across the board? So I taught 
all grade levels, all subjects. So it was K through six in the school I was at. So I went to each classroom every day. I was uh, sort of a subject teacher uh, bouncing around from classroom to classroom. So I didn't have, you know, one class that I uh, worked with the whole year. Well, let's talk about expectations in the class then. I find that when you go abroad te to teach ESL, people treat you as if you're, you've been doing it for a long, long time, but that's not always the case. What was your, what was your experience? Yeah, so that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I had never taught before, uh, before I came. I had never even considered being a teacher, I guess. Uh, my, you know, I was, I was TEFL certified. You know, my main goal was to, you know, work and travel. Uh, that was sort of the driving factor, so not really um, the teaching. So it was definitely a lot more of a learning curve than I expected once I arrived. Were there events to, to kind of bring people together so that you were able to get to know your TAs and the staff that was working there? Um, unfortunately, no. <laughs> there is none at all. They sort of have their personal lives and, and kept it that way. Let's move into uh, the visa requirements. Now, when we were talking beforehand, the word you used for the visa process was a pain. That's what you said it was. Um, <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> maybe you could walk us through some of the roadblocks that you encountered along the way so that people can be aware of those should they decide to work there. Yeah, yeah. So the visa just, oh my goodness, it was so many, <laughs> so many steps, so many documents. Um, I got rejected the first time because I, I don't know, there was something wrong on one document. It was, you know, very minuscule, didn't fill it out correctly. So I had to come back and, and then I got rejected again because my bangs in my were a little too long in front of my face. So they made me go get a picture taken again. And then finally the third time, three months later, I actually was able to get it. But um, yeah, it's just very you know meticulous and there's a lot involved in it. So, you know, if you could find a company that could help you with it, or, you know, do it for you. I would definitely recommend that. You said they were very meticulous. When you were filling in the forms, did you have to do it in a certain way? Were there very strict deadlines? Like what made it, what made it meticulous? There was just a lot of little details and a lot of, um, you know, questions and a certain way of, you know, submitting things. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, official government documents so you you really have to take it seriously yeah that is true i remember when i, when I was um uh filling in my application to, to teach in taiwan for the first time i did my medical check back home and mm -hmm. you had to the, the the doctor had to use a certain a certain color of ink i believe it was blue um they had to mark things in a very specific way on this form and the first time i think i had to go back to the doctor twice or to the nurse that helped me and she had to completely fill out the the form again because there were just a few things off so oh when, goodness, when yeah. you when you when you're telling me all this i'm just picturing having to do those types of things so no black yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually actually yeah those those are the types of things i ran into so it was you didn't make an you didn't put an x <laughs> in the box you put a check mark or something like that yeah ex exactly <laughs> those those things and you said you came in on a a school contract now did they have any hand in in your in the visa process before or while you were still in america or did they just help you after you got to the country uh they helped me beforehand you know i went through a company and was placed at the school and then they helped me with all the visa stuff beforehand uh and when i did arrive there it wasn't 
it wasn't that much more to do. I sort of just had to you know, go get my picture taken for the, the little ID card and, and things like that. So it, it wasn't too much to do once I was actually there. Were they quite helpful throughout the process? Um, so you didn't, you know, feel overwhelmed, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were helpful. It was definitely, definitely, you know, a good thing to have somebody to reach out to and just like a point of contact. So yeah, I'm definitely glad I went that way and didn't try to do it on my own. Yeah, I know some schools, they just send you like this large, this just massive packet of information. Yeah, yeah. Have, have fun sifting through it. <laughs> Very glad I got the help. When you get your contract within it, I'm sure it says your hourly pay or monthly pay or however they decide to to divide it up. Is there any wiggle room? Can you negotiate salaries? Uh, for me, no. You know, everyone who was in my group that got placed at schools, uh, we were all just, um, you know, like a flat flat fee. It was a thousand euro a month, uh, but we did only work four days a week. So it was a lot less hours um, than you would imagine. And, and that salary was definitely more than livable. Were you able to, to negotiate other parts of the contract? So maybe, you know, move your classes to Wednesday and you wanted to have Tuesday off or something like that? No, they're, they were pretty strict on, on that one day we get off. It was either a Monday or a Friday. Well, that's actually a, um, a good choice to have a Monday or a Friday. So you're, you yeah. always get a three day weekend then. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, wow. that was definitely helpful. I would, uh, I'd be, I'd get on top of that. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, let's move into culture shock. Uh, we had a nice little chat about this beforehand. You said there were several struggles that you faced while you were there. Could you go into some of what they were and just how you handled these parts of Spanish culture? Yeah, so there was definitely some culture shock uh, when I moved to Spain. Um, but, you know, that's, that's kind of why I was there. I was there to experience a different culture, and that's exactly what I got. I think one of the biggest things was just you know, their way of life. You know, I like to get up early and, and have the whole day, you know, be pretty you know, productive throughout that whole time, but they're a very late night culture. So, you know, a lot of them won't even eat dinner until like 9 or 10 p.m. There's a good chunk of the day. They call it siesta. It's where everything shuts down. People, you know, take a big nap. So it's just definitely a lot slower pace in, in, in general and everything. When you're describing it, to me, it sounds like they take a lot of time for themselves. They rest mm -hmm. a lot. But does that also bleed into how they, you know, maybe communicate with people or their performance at work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, definitely. Uh, with, with anything, really, you know, it, you just have to expect that it's going to take slower than normal. You know, everyone refers to it as quote unquote Spanish time. Uh, so <laughs> you, you just kind of have to accept that everything's just going to take a little bit longer. But you did say that because it was very slow paced, it was also low stress. So that would also yeah. be a good, a good thing. Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's definitely pros and cons to it. It, it kind of just comes down to, you know, how, how you live your life and, you know, structure your day. Now, how did, how did this, this slow paced lifestyle that you weren't used to affect your perception of Spain? It definitely, you know, made me not want to stay another year. Uh, it, it wasn't really, you know, sustainable for me to just adapt to that sort of way of life, I guess. You know, that's what made the experience what it was. Uh, it was, you know, very just Spanish. It was very authentic. So I really <laughs> appreciate it. Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny. It's like there's no other way to explain it. It's just Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Really. While we're on the topic of culture shock, at what point were you like, oh, I just can't, I can't do this anymore? And 
how did how did you handle it? How did you react? It was probably about halfway through my time there. You know, I got pickpocketed a lot, and um, there was a lot of you know robberies and things that I experienced secondhand, and so that really started to you know weigh on me just because I had never really lived in a major city before. I'm not from a city and go to college in a city, so um, it was also you know, city life culture shock on top of a new country culture shock. But, you know, just recognizing that that's, you know, normal and all you can kind of do is just move on. That's, that's kind of how I just got by. And did you, did you feel less safe? You said you, you brought up uh, pickpocketing and you said that it happened quite a bit or you knew people that got pickpocketed. Yeah. So I definitely worried about that pretty much constantly after my first time getting pickpocketed. So, you know, you kind of always have to have your valuables, you know, like in your hand or close to your body. But that's, that's something you adapt to if you live in any, you know, major European city. It's, it's, it's pretty common. I never felt unsafe, you know, in my home or, you know, walking down the streets at night in terms of getting harmed physically. Mm. It was always just me worrying about getting pickpocketed because that's just so common there. You sure don't want to have to keep rebuying a cell phone, you know, every few weeks. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of cell phones were bought during my year. <laughs> oh. uh, what did you find yourself doing after you started experiencing culture shock? For me personally, when I started experiencing it after I moved here, I kind of like just shut myself away in my apartment. Like I would just only go to work. Mm-hmm. What did you do to, to kind of cope with it and then make your way through it? Yeah. I mean, I definitely had that time where I kind of shut myself in and just like didn't really leave the apartment. You know, I did eventually get out. I, I was lucky to have such a good friend group there and of other, you know, teachers from the States. So um, just, you know, getting out there, going out to dinner, just trying to appreciate the good parts of the culture and things like that were really what got me through. You know, I also did a lot of traveling just within the country and that, you know, made made all the difference in terms of you know, how I viewed my experience after it was over. Yeah, like how you said, tr- you, you tried to view on the, the, the positive aspects of the culture there. I think that's mm-hmm. key as well, because I, I, I tried to do that myself, and I felt that really, really helped me kind of push me, myself over that hump. Well, let's kind of move into the culture of Spain. People are going to be quite interested in this, this particular aspect, because that's going to you know, help people to have a good time or it might be a problem for some people. You use the word rich when describing the culture there. What makes it rich? I guess, you know, just the Spanish culture in general is so, uh, you know, passionate and, and lively. You can just feel how, how passionate they are, I guess, if that makes sense. You know, in, in the school, in the schools, uh, crying in the classroom was very normal, which I, I don't think is that normal uh, back in the States. And, you know, just feeling those emotions is just a part of everyday life. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, dancing, like flamenco and salsa going around. Yeah, I don't know. It's more of a, like a vibe. Were they passionate about certain things or was it just kind of, did it vary from person to person and their likes? I don't, you know, it always varies, uh, but it did seem like, you know, a lot of them are just, you know, passionate about little things that, you know, maybe us Americans would take for granted, like, you know, uh, their meals. They spend probably, you know, like maybe two to three hours eating like a lunch or a dinner. And, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into it, a lot of conversation, connecting with the family. Nothing is ever, you know, like on the go for them, that they really do, you know, have that care and, and consideration into sort of everything. 
what advice would you give to somebody that has decided to go and teach in Spain, but they're kind of worried about adapting to the culture and, and fitting in with, with Spanish people? I would definitely say just, you know, go in knowing that that's all a part of the experience. Um, you know, there's never one sort of cut and dry way to make sure you're going to, you know, like the culture or, uh, you know, meet a bunch of Spanish friends or, or things like that. You know, all you can kind of do is just go in with an open mind, you know, do your research, make sure you, you know not to try to go to the grocery store at 3 p.m. because it's going to be shut down. Or, and you know, also there's, there were so many options for, you know, meeting other expats or, or even Spanish people in general, just, just utilizing those resources is, is super helpful. I guess, I guess from what you're saying, if I were to go there and teach, I would just make sure that I'm able to, to talk about food all the time and, and, make sure, and make sure that I sound passionate about it. So Yeah, yeah just passionately talk about food and <laughs> you'll be, be set. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good, good segue into, into actually uh, into food, which is a huge part of a culture. How exotic is the food in Spain? Will the normal person have an issue with it? I 100% do not think a normal person will have an issue with it because it's very, very basic, but it's also, it's also really good. And, and, you know, the, the ingredients are so fresh. Uh, there's a lot of eggs. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of ham. Uh, you'll see everywhere you go, you're going to see these dried legs of ham just hanging in the window. They're everywhere. There's a lot of potatoes. So a lot of people might think it's a little on the bland side. Uh, it's nothing like Mexican food, which, you know, a lot of people get confused. If you like spicy food, Spanish food is the opposite. <laughs> Their most famous dish is uh, paella, which is like a rice dish, and it comes with like chicken or seafood. Uh, there's a lot of variations on it, but that was by far my favorite in the food department over there. I'm quite big on drinks, so I'm curious to know if they have any <laughs> special drinks. Not alcohol. Um, I mean, if they do, that's fine. But I quite like, you know, going to a, a cafe and drinking coffee or, mm -hmm. you know, drinking tea. Is there a big culture of that as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. In terms of like coffee shops, they're literally everywhere. And you can go in and get, you know, all, type, all types of coffee drinks. You know, there's one called Cortado, and it's a tiny little coffee with cream it's pretty much just like a mini latte uh that was a really fun one and also with alcohol there's a lot of fun drinks they have one and um it's red wine and coke and that's very popular over there so um they do have their little quirks to them and you know just that drinking culture is huge red wine and coke yeah <laughs> it does it need to be a certain kind of red wine or do they use anything um, I actually, I actually don't know. Because uh, when you order it, they just deliver it to you. It, it actually wasn't as bad as it sounds. But... Yeah, it sounds strange. <laughs> and I'm very curious. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go try it myself. That's, yeah, why I'm, yeah. that's why I'm trying to, you know, ask for portion sizes. And... They also do um, red wine and Sprite as well. And that's kind of like a, like a knockoff sangria for them. Interesting. If you, yeah. don't, if you don't want to make the whole thing. What kinds of things can people do that aren't particularly interested in the bar slash club scene? Yeah, so there's actually a surprising amount of um, nature around, just even Madrid in general. They have a ton of parks and pretty big ones as well. You could spend hours there, uh, you know, a lot of gardens. You know, an hour or two outside the city, there's mountains, so you can go on hikes and that as well. Oh, interesting. And w when it comes to late night culture, um, you said people like to stay up late. They eat dinner quite late. You said 9 or 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. um, are there also markets and stuff that people can go and check out late at night as well? Or do people just 
kind of congregate in, in, in a certain area. Yeah, yeah, the markets are open pretty late too. You know, obviously not as late as the clubs. I think they close around like 12 a.m. Yeah, those markets are a huge part of Spanish culture and, and they're really they're really fun. If you, you know, just arrive in Spain or you really want to get a feel for the culture in terms of food, those, those markets are the place to go because you can try um, everything they have to offer. What about the social life of an expat that's there, so such as yourself? Maybe they're going abroad for the first time and they feel uncomfortable you know, hanging out and meeting local people. Are there opportunities to meet other expats as well? Yeah, there was actually a ton of options for that. Spain, when I was there, was really big on you know, like meetup.com. There's a lot of expat groups through that. Um, but also they had their own, I actually forget what it's called, but they had their own group that did organized trips. Uh, some were within the city, some were within the country and some even were, you know, out of the country. I had some friends that went to Morocco for like a seven day trip with this company and, and they just plan everything for you and it's all expats in terms of day to day life. There was, you know, expat events pretty much every day of the week that you could go to. Uh, so social life was was definitely covered in that sense. Especially even if you do arrive alone, uh, which I, I did arrive alone, so I met everyone there to be good on that that department. Let's begin to wind down our conversation here. How did you change as a result of your time in Spain? Yeah, well it was definitely a huge time of, you know, self discovery for me. Uh, I'd never been away from home for that long and just all of the things I went through when I was there, uh, you know, really did shape me. You know, it just shows you how adaptable you can be a lot of things you you never thought you'd be able to handle you're right there handling it and I, I was sick for a very long time when I first got there because of you know there was mold in my first apartment uh so there's just little things like that that really test you you know just stronger in the end all right so let's 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 hit on the the bad first why might someone want to avoid teaching in Spain maybe if just that lifestyle isn't, you know, what you're looking for. If you, you know, are very fast paced and, you know, don't plan on adapting to the culture as much and you, you kind of just want to go somewhere that's going to be more similar to what you're currently doing, uh, that probably won't be the best for you. You know, if you're, if you're not okay with loud, then that's probably not uh, the best place to go either. <laughs> Or very passionate people, maybe. <laughs> passionate, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because to be honest, you might get screamed at. You know, uh, you have to be able to have a have a tough skin and, and bounce back and not take it personally. Yeah, I can see how you know if somebody's talking to you in a very passionate way, that might be a, a bit awkward, especially <laughs> especially if you're not passionate about that same thing. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. All yes, right, exactly. man. All right. Yeah. So you like red wine and coke? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> What makes it a great place to, to teach in, in your opinion? Yeah, I think the thing I liked most was how authentic it was. You know, I have been to all over Europe and Spain was the only place that really sort of stayed true to the roots. Uh, I never felt like I was in any old city. Um, you know, sometimes you know, when you're traveling, you can go to a big city and it feels just like you know, New York or, or something like that. I never felt that way in Spain. Uh, there was the cultures everywhere and it's in everything they do uh, so that's just something that's super important to me and and also there's just a lot of Spanish speakers there to, if you do want to learn Spanish because you know a lot of 
but you can definitely make that happen if that's one of your goals. Yeah, it sounds like you can easily do a language exchange or something like that. So yeah, it, they're everywhere. It's it's very common. A lot of um, a lot of great information there. I'm sure people listening to this episode and those that are you know interested in going uh-huh. to Spain will find a lot of value in it. So we're gonna cut it there. Um, again, I really appreciate you you joining me today and in just sharing the information that you have on your about your experience. So. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. Take care. Okay, awesome. Have a good one. Enjoyed this episode of the Teaching While Learning podcast? Head on over to your favorite podcast service to subscribe, leave a review, or offer up some constructive feedback on what you just heard. We also have a growing community on LinkedIn, so if you'd like to connect with other like-minded ESL professionals, search for Teaching While Learning and join us. I appreciate you clicking on this episode, and I hope to have you back.